pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast, and here are your hosts. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, aka Menes, and joining me for this edition of the show, I have Brittany Carter from ABC Grandstand. How are you, Brittany? Hi, Menes. Pumped about the summer, that's for sure. Yeah, no, you've got some exciting news. You're one half of the Ladies Who Leg Spin podcast. I believe that's moving to the ABC now. Yeah, we've been picked up by the big people now, so it's all getting pretty serious, but we're absolutely pumped and the sound quality is already sounding so much better, so we're really excited about the partnership. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Now, the other panellist is... Lisa Stalaker, who I write these long introductions and then I cut them off because you've literally been everywhere in the last six months. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. I was a little bit nervous when I saw you presenting on the field at the Women's Ashes yesterday when your flight down to Sydney would be, but you're here in studio. I'm always here for you, Menace. Great to hear, great to hear. How is it that you're able to move from Channel 9 to Channel 10 to Channel 9 again, back to Channel 10? How does that work with their bitter rivalry? Well, I think the the point is that I'm, I guess, a freelance commentator and what they do is they kind of sign me up for a series or a tournament. So obviously with Channel 9 for the Women's Ashes and then Channel 10 for the Big Bash. There's not many commentators that do do that, go in and out of both boxes. No, I guess uh, I guess with the male commentators, they kind of sign them up for the whole summer and lock them in and I'm sure pay them a little bit more than they pay me. And <laughs> judging by the way you're going, that will happen very soon. I don't think you'll be able to flit around as easily. So um, speaking of flitting around, as I announced in the last episode of the Australian Cricket Podcast that I've got a new podcast starting next week. It's called Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, it's going to be hosted by News Corp, and uh, it's great for me to be part of a big organisation. There was a little bit of sort of nerves from some of the listeners. I got some feedback that they were worried that I was going to change. I was going to go all corporate, maybe uh, <laughs> curb my uh, ways. But look, I've been told I can do exactly the same thing, just do it for News Corp. So it's going to be me, probably me a little bit more. Turn, turn up the volume a little bit because I get a platform now and I get journalists that have to come in rather than me begging them in So to come in. So it's going to be fun. So that starts next week. It will be released on this feed. So regular listeners, it's basically going to be like nothing happened. So well done. Congratulations. Thank you, thank, you. thank you very much. Can't wait. But let's crack on. There's so much cricket to talk about. We're going to talk about the women's ashes. We're going to go around the world with Lisa Stalaker. We've got the cricket headlines, and there's nothing like a crazy axing of Ed Cowan to fire me up before a podcast. Ooh. I am ready to go off like a firecracker. So we've got all the headlines. Then we've got an Ash Gardner special. We're going to chat a little bit about her, and she did us a favour starring in the Women's Ashes yesterday. And then we're going to wrap it all up with a little bit of a JLT cup wrap, and uh, that'll be it for the podcast this week. So let's start with the Women's Ashes, a gutsy Two-wicket victory by the Australian women yesterday, not the Australian girls. Now, Lisa, I was on Twitter yesterday and I, I tweeted out that perhaps calling the Australian women's team girls, especially when men do it, was a bit condescending. How do you feel about the, the use of the term girls when talking about the Australian women's cricket team? I guess um, I, I probably fall into the habit sometimes of doing it myself uh, simply because they're my mates so, and, and my former teammates. Uh, you hear the male commentators say the boys 
when they're talking about the men's team. So I can understand, but it's about the one percenters, I think, as a commentator of trying to get that right. And, you know, we joke around, obviously, when uh, male commentators cover female games, they get a little bit tongue-tied about, do I call it batsman, batter, batgirl, or uh, wicket, uh, third man, man, uh, fieldsman, all of those type of things. It's just trying to find a, a platform or some simple words that everyone's comfortable with. And I think if we can get into the habit of saying the Australian women's cricket team, I think that that's a good thing for the side because they're not girls, they're they're Professional athletes. Yeah, they're professional athletes and, you know, they're, they're mature women. What do you think, Britt? Oh, I was bantering with you a little bit about on Twitter about this match and uh, I was tweeting you about this specifically. So this is a conversation that's been going on probably the last summer because I feel like women's cricket's been taken so seriously now and people are saying, you know, what do I do? Is this the right thing? I feel like girls is okay if it's an underage team. So if you're talking under 19s, under 17s, grassroots, grade level uh, brewers, I feel like that's fine. When you start to get to senior and uh, open level teams, I feel like that's when it needs to be women. But as you said, Lisa, it's particularly hard for people that have played the game and been in that environment not to call it girls because I know even playing grade cricket, we call ourselves girls and, and, and it would be weird for me to come out and go, yeah, go the women. They'd be looking at me like, what are you, what are you doing? So I think it's difficult in that sense, but it's just weird when the men do it. It's just strange, I think, because that dynamic you mentioned where... Well, it sort of plays into gender inequality in the way... Yeah, and they don't know they're doing it. It's just, I think most of it's just by accident and what we've been used to. But I've seen that Cricket Australia have come out and said, now we're going to call them the Australian Women's Cricket Team, not the Southern Stars. That's their nickname when people you know, have taken that on board. So maybe if Cricket Australia was to ask the women what they'd prefer or even put out like a stylized guide for, look, this is what we'd prefer you to call them so that people have something to go off maybe, that would be helpful. I think a, a number of times a, a few of the male commentators have said, oh, the ladies team. And I'm like, well, no, it's not the ladies because we mm. don't call you the gentlemen team. They're, they're trying to be respectful, but they kind of get tongue-tied and what they should do. So I think there almost need to be a, a cheat sheet yeah, that's for, right. yeah, for that's male commentators about. when they're commentating on female games. This is what you call us, whether it be soccer players, hockey players, cricketers, tennis players, whatever it may be. If male commentators are commenting, this is a rough guide. Mm. I think ladies is better, though, than girls. I mean, it's at least it's more polite. It's, I mean, I know you're screwing your face up. It's not a... <laughs> ladies, please. But if I were to say I've got two nice ladies here for the podcast, that's better than saying I've got two nice girls here. Mm. So, But I just think fielding positions is a tricky one. Someone asked me about it. I think it was third man, whether, you know, that should be third person. Or, just third. Or third. You know, person's we could down at third. Deep slip or something, or we could come up with a new deep position. Third, deep, deep third, deep third. Yes, yeah, so oh, you just the... take the man out. So what, the... when you were playing, was that what you used to call it? Uh, can you go say... down to third? Yeah, probably. Can you get? Can you go down to third? I, I don't think I've ever said, "Can you go down to third man for me?" Yeah, but it's funny because when I commentate in the men's game. I'm conscious about understanding what the listeners would like to hear as well. So sometimes I'll say batsman, but when I commentate on female games, I say batter. But you'll you'll hear a lot of the Australian men's side and obviously T20 franchise cricket now, they'll say, oh, he's a good batter. So even the players are calling each other batter, not, oh, he's a good batsman. So the language is changing and I think it's important as journalists, media, commentators that we get that right because we're influencing the next generation as well. 
I like batter. I know there's some traditionalists, especially in England, that hate batter because it's too much like baseball, but I think it's a good generic term. Mm, Well, there was a little bit of debate about that last women's big bash between some of the players and journalists online I saw about the batswoman or batsman, and you're right, batter does get criticised a lot by the pundits that absolutely love cricket and traditionalists. traditionalists. Yeah, I just think that it's important that we all keep an open mind that everyone's learning because everyone's very quick to criticize on on Twitter and you're not there with the microphone in your face and you don't know what's happening. You're trying to describe the play. You've got people in the background you're trying to describe as well. You're trying to figure out where the ball's gone. Like there is a lot of things you need to have your mind on when you're commentating. And sometimes we don't get it right, but you know, there's no need to criticize people so harshly because we're all learning. It's well hard said. for me to say well anything when said. I had a, a segment <laughs> called Commentary Critique running on this <laughs> podcast for a long time. But, so, a, a, but critique, I, a critique is different because it, it can be sometimes some really good positive feedback. I'm I'm happy for people to tweet me and say, oh, Lisa, especially when I was in India, the pronunciation of some of the, the surnames is this is how you, that's you go. Yeah, and that's really helpful. But to kind of criticise and, and only sometimes if you look on their feed, they're only negative tweets that they send out. That's not helpful. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, the smallest little thing gets blown out of proportion. I would never do that. Now, <laughs> let's talk. Let's move on now to the fantastic start to the Women's Ashes. A thrilling game at Allen Border Field. A great victory by the Australian women. They won by two wickets. Uh, let's start with the team changes for the Australian team. Talia McGrath came in to the side. Amanda Jade Wellington came in. Beth Mooney and Kristen Beams both went out of the team. Obviously, Meg Lanning's injured, so Rachel Haynes came in. I thought some interesting changes there. Uh, they've changed the, the balance of the side since the Women's World Cup. you now got Elisa Healy opening the batting. So, Lisa, you were over in England for the Women's World Cup. I'll start there. I was surprised that during the Women's World Cup, the selectors and the Brains Trust didn't adapt the side. It seemed almost sort of halfway through the Women's World Cup, Australia were a bowler short. Now they seem to have addressed that balance for this Ashes. Do you think it's a better side now? Certainly. I think it's a much better balanced side simply because you've got your, your six bowler option. Whether that's Talia McGrath moving forward in the Women's Ashes, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. She's coming back from injury and probably hasn't had as much time in the middle uh, from a bowling sense. So uh, Lauren Cheadle's not far behind. I'm sure she'll come back into into the frame of things. So I think they need that sixth option. I think it needs to be a, a seamer, given the fact that they've got really good options from a spin point of view. And I like the fact that uh, as unfortunate as it is for Beth Mooney, who, whose record isn't that bad, opening the batting, I don't think you can carry two keepers within your side when you need that extra bowler. So unfortunately she missed out and someone was going to have to miss out um, that uh, their numbers still were okay. And I think having Elisa Healy at the top of the order is, is the best thing for the Australian team moving forward. How come then during the World Cup they didn't make this change? I've got no idea. <laughs> because, I mean, I know after the the, the tournament, Australia's exit to India, uh, Matthew Mott was asked the question by a few journalists and he said we sort of went with what had done so well for us in the two years previously. But, yeah, so I think it was a big mistake during the World Cup. I think they've rectified it for the first match and we saw a good performance by the Australian bowlers. They restricted England to nine for 228. I thought... Amanda Jade Wellington was an interesting one coming in for Christian Beams, who was the leading wicket taker in the World Cup. 
Uh, any, what's the thinking there? Oh, I thought that was interesting, but I thought she did really well. I thought Amanda was one of the standouts yesterday. Talking about what Matthew Mott said about not changing up and sticking with what they've done the last two years, that can't be right because there were way more spinners for that World Cup than there were. You know, we had Renee Farrell out and we had Holly Furling injured and Lauren Cheadle was injured as well. So there were a lot more paces in the past than that World Cup. So that's bizarre that he says that because I don't really understand because there was heaps more spinners and we just had way too many spin options. But, yeah, you're right. I I think that yesterday was a really um, strong showing of what we can be capable of. I was confused about the McGrath decision to put her higher than Gardner and also, um, you know, Wellington and there was someone else behind there as well. But just Jonathan. Just Jonathan. JJ. Yeah. I heard but that. The like, only that's reason, my new favourite nickname. Yeah. So. The only reason I can think that they they do that is because they think maybe if McGrath went early, they still had options that were strong behind her to back up. So I don't know. I'm going to disagree with you, Lisa. I don't know if Alyssa Healy should be right at the top because I feel like Beth Mooney did quite well in the World Cup. There was only that final game in the semifinal that she went for one. And she actually did quite well in the first rounds of WNCL as well. So I don't know. You'd like to have seen her in there. I was really surprised to see Beth Mooney out. Yeah. How do you get your six bowler in then? Yeah, that's that's a magic question. Yeah, and that was, and that was the that, tough that's, choice. That's, that's, I think, and that's that's the issue that mm. you actually want all of your squad members performing so well that it, it actually is really hard to select. And I think whoever was going to miss out, and it had to be Mooney and... Uh, Beams because Beams, Kristen Beams' record is impressive. Mm. In one day cricket, she bowls well. She got a fifer against New South Wales in the Women's National Cricket League and she misses out on the first round simply because the first ODI, simply because Amanda Wellington is a more attacking leg spinner. So sometimes in cricket you've got to look at the balance of the side and it means that really good players have to miss out because of the opposition you're playing, of the conditions that you've got as well. And, and that's how international cricket should be played. People mm-hmm. should be really disappointed. But it should also show that the Australian team is willing to move within their playing 11 depending on those conditions and who their opposition are It was a well. big change-up for the first game of the Ashes, though. Like, this is so important to cricket and to Australians. So to, to make such a big statement so early on in the series, I thought, was really interesting. I think it shows that they have probably some regrets about the World Cup selections. Mm. Uh, And I just wanted – one thing that's interesting about the prominence now of women's cricket, I actually didn't even know who the selectors were for the women's side, (laughs) but I did think they should be held accountable after the World Cup. So it's Mott. uh, Matthew Mott, Sean Flegler. Yeah, Flegler, that's it. They're past the Shield players. uh, Yeah. And then you've got Avril Fay, former Australian player, and Julie Hayes as well. So there's four. Uh, obviously, the the captain would have a, a say. The captain and coach would certainly have a say in the squad makeup, and they obviously get together for the team selection. But uh, yeah, those four, and I, I think they they did a bit of soul searching afterwards and asked a lot of questions. Um, women's cricket is now getting more prominent in the media, so which means more criticism. Correct, mm. which I think is a good thing because. A lot of sometimes a lot of decisions in women's cricket go unnoticed, rightly or wrongly. Uh, whereas I think some some light is being shown on their performances, and if people aren't performing or if the selectors have got it wrong, then they should be held accountable. And I think after that World Cup, they were. Well, it's one thing to lose or to go out of the World Cup in the semi-finals. It's even worse when your bitter rival England wins it. So. Oh. <laughs> all right, so England, uh, all, nine for 228. Gardner took three wickets. Megan Shute, 
two wickets, Elise Perry two wickets. I think it's a massive year for Elise Perry with the ball. Last year was probably her down year with the ball. And Lisa, she's not your captain anymore at the Sixers, so you can – how do you think her bowling's going? <laughs> oh, look, you don't have to be nice. She can't No, I think uh, certainly over the last couple of years, not even last year, I think her bowling has probably stagnated. Her batting has gone up. And I think it's hard as an all-rounder to really juggle both skills, and I think she's starting to realise that. You look at all the male players and female players, sometimes one aspect of – your skills is going really well, whether it be batting or bowling, and the other kind of falls away, and then it might chop and change. I never had that problem. You never had like, that nev- problem? None of the skills. Oh, ever. right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she looked really good yesterday. She looked quick. She was hitting uh, Elisa Healy's gloves really hard. She was Getting great through in, the crease. Yeah, she was great in the field as well. So I think she's in a really good place. She's got a huge role. I mean, let's, f- let's remember that she's going to be batting three if they – decide to stick with that. She's going to bowl her 10 overs and she's normally out on the boundary running around stopping stopping the fours. So she's going to have huge workloads and they're going to have to manage that. Yeah, so she started well and uh, Australia in the chase got there with two wickets in hand. Alex Blackwell, 67, not out. A true vice-captain's knock. Elise Villani, quick 38 to get things going for the Aussies. But then it was probably Ash Gardner's 27 off 18 balls that changed the game. She came in when the run rate was starting to increase and just smashed the ball all over the place. And uh, I guess that that little innings from Gardner was probably the difference, Britt. Yeah, two massive sixes over her right shoulder. I mean, she came on and made a massive impact. I think she was really trying to make a statement too. I mean, she's moved from New South Wales to South Australia to try and prove to the selectors that she deserves to be higher in the order and work her way to there. So, I mean, she's definitely making a case for it. It's about staying out there for a bit longer now, I think. But she did what she had to do. And, I mean, we knew that Alex was going to try and bat out the innings and be the safer option. So all she had she had the licence to smack it if she wanted to, and she was able to do so, definitely. Gutsy stuff. She said she gets more nervous on the sidelines mm. after the game. So, obviously, getting out there into the heat of the battle brought the best out of her. Uh, she did the same for the Sixers last year, so it was no surprise, the big hits. And a great victory from the Australians. So, that's their first two points. The, I guess the women's Ashes is 16 points all up. So, Australia needs six more points to retain the Ashes. That, that's a pretty good start from the Aussies. If they win the test, that's all of a sudden six points. They just need to win one more game. And um, they can retain the ash. It sounds easy when I say it, obviously. <laughs> the uh, test is the big one, though. Yeah. You need to win that, don't you? Yeah, so they move from here. They play the last two ODIs, Coffs Harbour. Then they play the day-night pink test at North Sydney. And they finish with three T20s, one in Sydney and then two at Monica Oval in Canberra. I'm a bit surprised, though, that they've put the fixtures in Coffs and Monica and not taken it to some of the other capitals. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I'm not sure the reason why. I know that uh, the players had played at Coffs Harbour against South Africa and they felt that the the ground was really good, but also, more importantly, the local community came out in droves and it's kind of nice to have you know a big crowd and we saw that uh, at Allen Border Oval yesterday. I think there was about just over 2,000 people attended and it was nice to hear them cheering for the Australian girls. So Coffs Harbour's been a nice little base for him and we've seen it in other sports as well, uh, the fact that the Wallabies... They're not training bases. They're not where you have what should be two of the three biggest 
one day internationals, the Australian women's team is going to play, you know, this two years. Yeah, I, th- I think the other thing is it's about trying to create the right atmosphere. So yeah. we could go to the M- MCG, no problems. We've done that before and you'll get a thousand people and it will feel so empty. You get a thousand people. What about, is Junction Oval ready yet though? No, I don't think so. So that's probably why they didn't schedule a game there because it seems weird that you wouldn't play a game in Victoria. Yeah, and maybe timing of the year, but obviously uh, they've, they've kind of thought about the ground size, obviously the day-night test at North Sydney Oval. It's a cute little ground. I think it's great Pretty size for, for women's cricket. So I think at the moment, whilst they're trying to build up the interest they want to try and create that atmosphere atmosphere and it comes across really well well on the tv whereas if we had an empty three three quarters of a stand of the mcg or the scg just doesn't have that same feel so i think credit to cricket australia for finding those those unique venues that hopefully will create that atmosphere yeah i just think maybe they a little bit too much that way maybe they could have well i'm happy they're all pretty close to me so you know still being (laughs) in sydney Sydney. what are you complaining about i can get a cough I'm happy. Okay. All right. I'm outnumbered. Jeez. You are um, outnumbered. This right, is so a the, problem I, when you have two girls. <laughs> two girls, Women. indeed. Uh, all right. So we've got the next two ODIs in Coffs Harbour. I think they're going to be really evenly matched contests, but it's, it's the pink test that is sort of interesting to me because both these sides play so little women's test cricket. It's such an unknown commodity, I guess. I mean, Lisa, you'd probably know about this. How how will they go from not playing any test cricket at all to then being in the the spotlight for this day-night test? I think both sides have struggled with the test match in the past. Uh, we tend to, to kind of jump at ghosts because we're all in white and, and the red ball it changes <laughs> colour so we think it's going to do something and different. does it play with your head that extra it time? Does. It does. You think that you need to put away shots and play boring cricket, but you don't. And because in no other competitions from a domestic point of view or even club cricket we play anything longer than 50 overs, it is quite a daunting task. So I'm glad to see that both teams have an opportunity to play a three-day warm-up game uh, before the day-night test and and obviously that will be with the pink ball. Uh, So they're throwing another spanner in the works with the pink ball and we're not sure how that's going to play for the females. Um, uh, North Sydney Oval, is it going to be good enough with the lights? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But That could be a problem if they can't see the ball. Well, it could be, yeah. So the pink ball, the the female ball is lighter than the men's ball, isn't it? 142 grams. And what's the men's ball? 156. So 14 grams difference, okay. That should swing around then if it's... It's pink and it's a bit lighter. It should hoop around even more than the pink ball does normally. Uh, potentially. I guess we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> is there a place, though, for women's test cricket then? Absolutely. As players, all we want to do is test ourselves in the hardest format, and that's test cricket. If you play once every two years, it's a bit of a... Well, it's better than nothing, isn't it? Yeah. There's interesting about this, though, because when I was asked to interview Ash Gardner for the ABC Cricket Magazine, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, I know, are. I know, but uh, Jim Maxwell actually said to me, do you want to ask her whether she thinks she'd prefer the, the, does she like the format of it or would she prefer it all to be tests like the men's game? And when I asked her, she was, it, it made total sense what she said, because if they're not playing it that often, why would you have a series determined by that? You know, you want the, the games and formats that they're used to playing to 
be what decides it in the end. So I think that definitely they're keen to play more test cricket, but at the moment the format that is working uh, and if they're going to try and change that, they definitely need to get more test cricket happening for them. But you're right, it is the pinnacle. All, all cricketers want to play that. As I don't think that you should just go, oh, well, they don't play it very often, so we won't include it anymore. It's an important part. Okay, so I'm outnumbered, but yeah, look, I can't wait to go. I know, I, I, I don't, I can't so what, wait to so, go. So, Menna, so what are you saying? You feel that in the women's game, well, you I should just scrap Test cricket. I just feel it's, it's. I like it, but it just seems like a bit of an anomaly that no other teams play Test cricket. The only uh, other they don't play it at a domestic level. They don't practice the game. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we're going to put this match on the biggest stage. Yeah. The the if you ask all players around the world, they want to play Test cricket. Unfortunately, the national boards go, it's too much of of a financial burden to have a four day Test match when we can have three T twenties and they're going to be televised. So that's going to generate more interest about the team mm. than you playing a Test match. So as players, we've gone okay, we'll accept that. Uh, certain countries just have to lump it. Mm. Uh, but we've gone, okay, as long as we can still play Test Cricket. I actually think, and Alex Blackwell mentioned this, um, I think, in one of her media conferences, why not in the top eight nations, why not play this hot, this format of the three T20s, the three ODIs and a Test match against the top eight teams in the world? It's a in good the women's idea. game, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I mean, that makes more sense, it seems. That, that they play the game. That so great stuff. The on Thursday the second ODI kicks off today nighter in Coffs Harbour. Cannot wait. Now we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with the Lisa Stalaker World Tour. That's it. It's all. It's high. It's miles in the air. Hughes is coming around, and so on. It's all. It's all. Right. Stephen War. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Britt Carter and Lisa Stalaker. I've got a special segment for you, Lisa, because you are our most well-travelled panellist. You get everywhere, even more than Gav Joshi. Um, <laughs> we've got a segment around the world with Lisa Stalaker. I've been wanting to talk to you for ages, and we'll start with the CPL. Now, you were lucky enough to score a gig commentating in the Caribbean Premier League. Is that as good as it sounds? Yeah, look, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it, haven't they? <laughs> so I guess I put my hand up and managed to get the opportunity. But, yeah, the CPL is amazing. And I was fortunate enough to be on the beach crew. So we went to the better islands that look have the, the beautiful, pristine beaches. So was Howie on that crew? Howie wasn't on that crew. He must have been dirty. Yeah, they <laughs> were dirty. Mel Jones wasn't on that crew either. So I was very fortunate. So... Managed to go to Florida, St. Kitts, St. Lucia and Barbados. So great places and went there when I played in 2010. So it was kind of nice to go back and see the place and see the touristy sites instead of just the cricket ground and the hotel. And I saw some pretty bad Hawaiian shirts in action. Did you bring them back? Are they back? even West Indian shirts? Did you, They're not. Did you bring them back with you? Or? I might have brought them back just in case for potentially one of your shows. Well, it's lucky it's an um, audio show only. Um, <laughs> so, look, it looked great over in the CPL. My feeling about the standard of the cricket is that it's probably not quite the IPL and the BBL standard-wise, but they tend to sort of promote the sort of more showmanship element. Like, send-offs are just the thing in the CPL. You're never going to see more send-offs than a CPL game. I love it. I love the drama because their big names almost play up to it a little bit more. Uh, they're all good friends. They're all great mates. 
But when they cross that line, there's a there's the element of drama that comes in when a, a DJ Bravo is bowling to Pollard or Chris Gale. They give it to each other. Massive egos. Yeah, play there. massive egos. But they have a ball <laughs> when they're out there, and it's actually great from a commentary point of view because you go. Check the, yeah, take a look at this. He's having a go at this guy. It's and like they don't the take WWE. themselves so seriously. They you know do the send offs, which you know wouldn't go so well here. But the, the sergeant with his salute send off, and the the guy was ticking off the wickets as yeah. he went on his imaginary notepad. I mean, they they ham it up. Yeah, they do ham it up. I reckon they probably spend a little bit more time thinking about celebrations uh, for wickets or runs instead of probably working on their fielding, which probably showed. Uh, but Lots of uh, drop catches. There were a lot of drop catches. Uh, but I think uh, they they kind of ham it up for the biggest uh, sporting event. And I think that's right. It's a lot of fun over there. Um, the people that come out and watch, they have a great time. There's certainly a lot of rum being drunk at, as well. So it's a great atmosphere. Did you have a few hangovers throughout the t- throughout the tournament, Lisa? No, I didn't actually. Yeah, I was prof- very well behaved. Very professional. Look at that, Brit. There's an example <laughs> for us. Okay, two things about when travelling around the Caribbean, we just see, you know, the fractured nature of West Indian cricket. Do you think the health of the West Indies cricket, they you know, are they behind the CPL? Do they still love the game? Or did you feel that it was just a bit out out of place? Well, I think the issue is, and and this is the problem with certain T20 franchises that aren't owned by the national board, you have, it's not necessarily tying into what you're trying to do from a domestic point of view. So I think West Indian Cricket Board need to somehow try and get involved a little bit more in CPL because it's a great way to showcase your players, domestic players, who potentially could go off and get some exposure, whether it be in the Big Bash or IPL, and that's going to help West Indian Cricket. Mm. We've seen that uh, because of the IPL, mm. the the growth of the game globally has, has increased. Uh, so... The issue over there in the West Indian side is that you've got different countries and obviously that they're trying to look after their own country instead of seeing the bigger picture. So that's always going to be an issue. But they've certainly got a lot of young, talented player. Uh, Evan Lewis uh, is certainly someone to, to keep an eye out on. Um, very exciting batsman. Smashed England big, in the T20. Yeah, big hitter. You know, I was at that game as well in England uh, where he looked good in international. So where haven't you been? Uh, I, I'm, I've gone through the list. I've got Women's World <laughs> Cup, CPL, JLT Cup, Women's Ashes. Uh, I just cross off all the Yeah, list. no, I went to England as well in between there for wow. about four days. Okay, so. Wait so. until the big bash starts. Then you'll get a domestic. You? Such a show off. <laughs> oh, hang on. I haven't, I haven't dropped any names. I just told you lo- locations. <laughs> uh, okay. How was just last one then? How was Florida? We didn't drop uh, that. Did you Florida get, was good. Uh, literally, do you think cricket has a future in America? I think it's going to be hard. I think you need to find the 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 right places. And when we played in Florida, it was stinking hot. And I was actually very um, worried about our crew and also the players because we played during the day and it, it must have been about 45 degrees and humidity was ridiculous. So it wasn't ideal for the sense of everyone coming out. But uh, I think... Uh, You've certainly got a lot of expats, whether it be from India, Sri Lanka, or even the West Indies that live in America, and they love their cricket and they want to see it. So I think you've got to find a location that suits, and I think that area would certainly take off. So 
Slowly. That's what I'm getting the feeling for yeah, you. It's going to take a while. Didn't they play an All-Stars game over there a couple of years ago? They did. The Shane Warne t- took a side over and they played on uh, Baseball Diamonds, yeah, which it, didn't, for me, I struggled looking at the game and going, hang on, <clears throat> how does this work? Like certain boundaries are really short. Uh, it and it was all work. the past players as well that Tanduka was there too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty terrible. That was pretty terrible, that All-Stars thing. You weren't weren't there for that, were you? No, I wasn't. Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, So, well, my big takeaway is that Brit and I need to get on the beach crew for next CPL. You do. You absolutely do. My News Corp podcast should be a way into that. I've got (laughs) some perfect ideas for places to eat and everything. Excellent. Now, you were also at the Women's World Cup. Now, Britt and I were here, and you were actually over there for the Women's World Cup. I I made it to one game. I was devastated to miss England and Australia because I was there, Uh, but I was at a wedding. Who gets married on that day? They must have been really good friends. (laughs) Yeah, uh, family in a way, yeah. so I was was with a good friend yesterday, and he was talking about his wedding, and I just said, can you check the cricket fixtures before you schedule the wedding? So I think good friends should do that. Mm, Definitely. Uh, So this World Cup felt just much bigger than any previous Women's World Cup. I mean, you played in the last World Cup, is that right, Lisa? Yeah, 2013. So that was that your last time you played for Australia, won the World Cup? How did you feel this tournament changed from that? Well, firstly, uh, every game... Apart from uh, not playing. <laughs> every game, apart from the, the ones that were televised, were live-streamed. So all of a sudden, instead of it uh, being, you know, one or two cameras, it became an eight-camera production and and all the channels globally picked up those extra games. And so it allowed people to actually follow it. It's hard when you're only kind of televising 10 or 12 games because... You've got a dodgy stream. Yeah, correct. It, 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 I know you were watching a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I think also the social media aspect, I think ICC and obviously ECB did really well in promoting it and selling it out. So obviously the Australia-England game, which you missed out in Bristol, that was sold out. Great atmosphere and uh, that game came down to the wire with Australia losing by three runs and uh, and then the final was held at Lords. It was sold out. There was over 25,000 people there and and India was certainly on the road to victory until Anya Shrubsole came into the attack and picked up six wickets and the the noise and I was in that media centre which looks like a UFO uh, at Lords and uh, showing off again when uh, when. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just explaining to the listeners so they can understand. And when uh, England picked up that last wicket, I was in that box and it was shaking because of the volume of noise. So, you know, so many people hung around after for autographs. It was just an amazing feeling. And, and the fact that obviously India were in the final, it was actually picked up by Indian free-to-air TV. So 120 million people in India watched that game alone. Uh, it was the most watched game in for Sky Cricket for the their summer as well. So it just shows you that if it's accessible, people want to watch it. People are enjoying women's cricket. So it's a total transformation. Uh, good. I think I think people are starting to realise that you can actually earn money out of it. It's not just a a budget line, a, a, an expense in your budget line. I and think that, that there's good quality cricket there. I think people are starting to wake up and go, like the amount of friends I have that are mates that are go, oh, I watched a women's game the other day and it was actually good. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like I think just the more coverage of it just shows people what, what the quality is there and people come back for it, definitely. Exactly. I mean, if, if it's accessible, you'll watch it. I mean, I've always been a big fan of all types of cricket, but you could never watch the Australian women's team play 
I mean, when Lisa was playing, it was very hard to watch any of your games. Couple of couple of games a year, pretty yeah. much that were televised. So now, got away with so much then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last last tour with Lisa. Now you're part of the Australia. You're an executive member of the Australian Cricketers Association. No longer, actually. What happened? Uh, Lisa Healy's taken over at my so position. Did you, did you pull out? Yeah, I th- I've been there for six years. So so you were when were. the negotiations were going Correct. on. Correct. How, what did you learn from those negotiations? A lot of things. Uh, so this was what my, can you say on on? No, no, no. This was my second MOU that I was part of. Obviously, <clears throat> the first one was with uh, Paul Marsh, and there were certain things that we wanted to get over the line. We couldn't necessarily do. I think we learnt as an organisation and as the players learnt that you need to kind of foresee potentially what's going to happen or how CA are going to play it, uh, and the. The, the most impressive part about this pay dispute was the fact that all players, male, female, international and domestic players, were all united. They wanted to have to keep the revenue share model, which is a percentage of Cricket Australia's revenue that goes into funding their their salaries and, and, and a number of other um, programs with it. And they were the senior players of the Australian men's side came out quite strongly and said, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to rip up that contract that you've just given me individually where I'm going to be earning a lot of money for the benefit of female players and, and male domestic players. So I think credit to those guys for doing that. And I guess it then was a success? Yeah, it was a success. Um, I think... Uh, Looking back, I think both organisations would think that maybe the way that they both handled it from a media point of view wasn't great. I think uh, speaking via press releases uh, every day was not a great look for, for Australian cricket. But I think, you know, from a player's point of view, they we kind of stuck to what we wanted or what the players wanted and, and were able to deliver pretty much close to what they wanted. So I think that was good. And and players should always be seen as genuine partners, not employees, because at the end of the day, if it wasn't for the players, none of us would have a job. That back and forth really confused the punters, though, didn't it? I mean, so many people were saying this is all about men getting more money. No, it's not actually about that. Read a little bit more into it and you'll find that you're right, that everyone was united and that was the nicest thing about it. Yeah, they tried to divide the players, but it didn't work, so... They certainly did. Obviously, CA came out initially, you know, saying, aren't we doing well from a, a women's cricket point of view? We're going to pay them so much more money. But the main thing was that, all the players and the the people, the journalists that that follow it and know cricket realise, well, hang on, you're going to take revenue share away from the male state players and when you're about to do a media rights deal for the Big Bash, which the male state players have helped grow with the support of Cricket Australia and you're going to take away their opportunity to to be able to, to get that percentage share of that increase, which is where I think they're expecting three times the amount. So... Uh, Everyone saw through that, and the players certainly did, and um, they stuck together. And, everyone, and the, the adjustment ledger was a big part of that. I think there was like $60 million at play that's just recently been divided up and de- deposited into all the cricketers around the country's accounts as we speak. So a pretty good good, good week for the, the ex-cricketers I last know, week. They're going all right, aren't they? They are going all right. Well done, Lisa, getting that over the line for them. I think it's interesting that everyone forgets about the state cricketers because people like Pat Cummins, who came back from injury, only got back into the Australian squad by what he did in the state competition. So it's so important that they get 
what they deserve, really. So now next negotiation, you can just watch on the sideline, Lisa, and relax. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully it's going to be a little bit more, Caribbean and... more uh, smooth sailing, I think. Yeah, I hope so too. All right, so that was Around the World with Lisa Stilake, and now we go headlong into the cricket headlines. Massive week of headlines. The first one, the Sheffield Shield kicks off this Thursday with a day-night round. The Ashes squad will be announced after the second round of the Shield, so the number six and keeping spots are up for grabs. But already we've got a massive announcement out of New South Wales that the leading, I repeat, the leading run scorer from the Shield was dropped for the first game. Ed Cowan ousted, scoring almost a 1,000 runs and averaging over 70. Obviously, it wasn't enough. Instead, he'll be carrying the drinks. I don't know where to start with this one. How can you justify dropping the best player from last season and bringing in someone like Daniel Hughes, or who, who, who although has started well... Doesn't deserve to be there ahead of Cowan. Someone help me. It's a it's a hard one, isn't it? Because obviously we're not in the inner sanctum to understand the reasons before around it. I haven't seen any press release or. Well, the, I mean, the rumours are that they're you know they're looking for youth. Younger, yeah. Patterson, Enriquez, Maddinson, Daniel Hughes, Steve Smith, and David Warner as the top six. So obviously Smith, Warner. Enriquez, Maddinson probably go in, Patterson goes in, then Hughes misses out. I, I don't know how you can look someone in the eye who's been the leading run scorer from last summer and say, okay, you're not good enough for the first game this year. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's an interesting decision. Obviously, Cricket New South Wales feel that they need to start developing some un- some younger players and at some point they have to potentially start to overlook senior players and and it's a tough call it's never a nice call and I I hope certainly that they've handled it well probably Um, not I've looked at did Andrew Jones tweet at him (laughs) I don't know about that you're dropped Um, but I just I saw a a tweet from Rick Finlay and he said most runs in Sheffield Shield since 2014-15 Ed Cowan's at the top with 2,283 at an average of 51 the next is Bancroft average of 40 so it just shows you the caliber of what Cowan's been able to do over the last few years I hope that there's still a place for him obviously with the fact that Warner and Smith and all of your test guys are back he misses out and that's happened before but yeah I guess they're going for Daniel Hughes has opened up for New South Wales in the JLT one day cup he scored a lot of runs I think he was in the top five for the most runs scored in the JLT and then over the weekend he scored a mighty 203 not out for the Mossman Wales so he's in form so that's the other thing they might look at who's really in form no, I don't buy it. It's, 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 a, it's a massive <laughs> misjudgment by the New South Wales selectors. I guess we'll wait and see, won't we, how they go in the Sheffield well, Shield? I mean, no. they've got a good lineup. It's not that. I just think, you know, if someone's the leading run scorer, just kick him in the teeth and drop him for the first game next year. I mean, how how is someone like Patterson or Maddinson going to feel now? If they leading run scorer this summer, will they be ousted for the first game next summer? Not a fan. Now, um, New South Wales CEO Andrew Jones was reprimanded and handed a $3,000 suspended fine for publicly calling for the sacking of match officials after the JLT Cup match was abandoned at North Sydney Oval the Sunday before last. Now, Britt, I'll ask you this. If the, the head of Cricket New South Wales tweets in a public forum the umpire should be sacked, is a $3,000 suspended fine enough? Ugh. That's a tough question, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I, I All know, the tough questions on this podcast. I've met Andrew Jones a few times and 
I like to think that you can judge him by his character and his manner and he's quite a really he's actually a really lovely man. So sure I think he's just I, I can understand why he would have been angry, but the Twitter thing, like, no, like you're sure Surely he knows the rules. I don't know if he was trying to get away with it there, or or there's just been a little bit of a brain snap, and he's gone. I've got to say it was something about a brain this. Snap. It was a Sunday afternoon. But the poor umpires, nobody ever sticks of up for wine them. Into the day, yeah. The umpires and officials, nobody ever sticks up for them. So, for so them. you think three thousand suspended was enough, or could have been more? Oh, look, cricket Australia probably could have given him more. Yeah. What do you think, Lace? Oh, I think it was a, a massive misjudgment by Andrew Jones. He's the CEO of Cricket New South Wales, which is one of the largest states and produces the most players. And he needs to lead by example, and and that certainly wasn't the case. I know, you know, I know he's such a passionate cricket follower, but when you're in that type of leadership role, you can't afford to do something like that. Uh, there are other ways that you can go around it, and from reports he wasn't even there when it was suspended so he's sitting back and watching you know the live stream and making these comments without necessarily speaking to the players probably needed to do that first and then go through the back channels yeah it is a good lesson though be careful what you tweet now the next headline chris lynn has just signed a reported million dollar contract for the brisbane heat so he'll be he's signed for five years reportedly worth over a million dollars Probably the biggest Big Bash contract we've ever seen. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to see plenty more of these contracts as time goes on. Players like John Hastings retiring from first class and longer form cricket will be able to sign these big deals worth a load of money. How exciting. It's the Buddy Franklin of T20, I think. He is. <laughs> well, Chris Lynn's an amazing player. I just hope he doesn't get injured because that money's going to go straight down the drain otherwise. <laughs> oh, I think he's worth every cent. Mm. Uh, he's uh, dynamic in what he does with the bat. Um, he's been able to, to perform so well, not only here in the Big Bash, but over in the IPL he did well. Obviously coming back from shoulder surgery and, and fingers crossed that, you know, in the field he's not going to cause any issues. But uh, when he's red hot, he's so exciting to watch and uh, uh, Brisbane Heat pack out the Gabba every time the team plays, and and there there have been times that they the haven't pool's even coming back. Well, they haven't even been able to to kind of make finals. But what they do well is the the local players there, as in Chris Lynn, just ignite that uh, community, and uh, I think it's great. And I hoped that we see him in Australian colours this summer as well. Well, plenty of people were even the players last year were calling for the six to be renamed to a Chris Lynn. So <laughs> I think everyone understands how big impact he has in this game yeah and huge for him and he's not even playing first class cricket this summer just solely devoted for the short form to the short form of the game so the first million dollar big bash cricketer and uh we're going to take a short break and uh, that was the cricket headlines and then we'll be back with a little bit of a chat about an article you did on ash gardner brit which is great because she was the star of yesterday's First, Women's Ashes ODI, so good timing, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. Seven overs to be bowled here at the Wacker. Ricky Ponting won the toss, and very popular player, Andrew Simons, and why not? He's a great entertainer for telling his final over. Here he goes, there he goes, all the way up into the stand. What a hit in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. 
That is hitting a cricket ball, and welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Britt and Lisa. Now, Britt, you wrote a great piece for the ABC Cricket Magazine that's coming out very soon, I believe. Yeah, October 26, so out very shortly. Um, I've seen what it looks like, and they've done a really good job. Um, there's plenty of great content in there as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's received by the public. Now, you, you interviewed Ash Gardner, the star of the match, yesterday. How does she come across character-wise and, and what sort of uh, traits does she display one-on-one? Uh, I think she's probably, she's not really a very flashy person, you know. She sort of just says it out how it is, but because she's quite young, she's still learning how to be herself and comfortable in the media. So you can do as much as you like chatting to them and trying to get them to warm up a little bit, but they're always going to be a bit like, oh, how is this going to be taken, you know. They're still trying to work out what they can and can't say. So um, I think that she's actually a really lovely, genuine person when you speak to her, and she gave me a lot of insight into uh, the lead up to where she has come now and I think that that comes across in the magazine or I hope it does yeah I mean I read the article you did it was a great article one thing that stood out for me was that uh, Andrew Simons was one of her favorite plays and mm. just watching her play yesterday I mean she was a lot like Andrew Simons bowling off spinners getting wickets and then coming in and smashing balls into the crowd well, that's um, right. so he's obviously had a big influence on the way she plays well we had a bit of a misconception about her because I thought I heard that she'd started bowling off spin because of Andrew Simons and that she changed her game to be more like him but that's not entirely true she told me that she actually got a bit lazy and bored in the nets one day and stopped bowling pace and just started her she just started bowling some Is that spin. How you started off spin, Lisa. Got a bit lazy in the <laughs> No, nets. but uh, she's been. She was part of uh, when I was working for Cricket New South Wales. I remember seeing her as a ten-year-old, and we se- selected her in the uh, like under thirteens emerging breakers. And she was the naughtiest kid going through. Oh, there you go. Through all of the age groups because she was the most talented. So she got bored at training all the time. So she just she was a fluff bit of a around. handful. She was a bit, bit of, of a handful. handful look at her now. Stories are coming out. There you go. So yeah, she started. Doing doing a bit of spin and then her coach said to her, why don't you try that in the game? And then that's where it went from there. But her batting style and um, definitely I think the bowling now, she's taken it on as if Andrew Simmons has influenced her. And she, she says in the article, you know, I think that my attacking style is, is a lot like him and she loved his dreadlocks and the weird look he had going with the zinc and everything. So, yeah, really big influence on her career. I mean, Ash Gardner was one of the stars for the Sixers last year, but now Lisa should be looking at even growing bigger into that role in the upcoming summer, batting up the order. For Australia. For the Sixers. For the Sixers. Well, she was batting at three, I think, three or four. Yeah. Um, she's still going to play an important role for the Sydney Sixers, and that's why the WBBL is so important for this next generation because we've got that extra team, uh, so the the talent is kind of... Uh, dispersed a little bit more and it's not necessarily just state-based so it allows teams to kind of showcase young talent coming through and that's what the Sydney Sixers were able to do with Ash Gardner in WBBL 01 and she's just been able to build and build on that to what we see now in Australian colours a very dynamic player who's got so much potential. And one last thing Britt about Ash Gardner how does her Indigenous background sort of play into her identity? I think she's very, she's very proud of it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lisa, but I believe she was the first woman, Indigenous woman to captain the Indigenous women's team that went out to India last year, maybe, um, and played a game out there. So she's very proud of her heritage and, and her backgrounds. And um, 
Yeah, I think that sometimes we can we can say, oh, you know, we can play on it too much in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like people say, oh, look, she's Indigenous and look where she's got to, but she's just Indigenous. That's just part of who she is now. And a lot of Indigenous women are actually great at cricket. There's heaps of them at grade level. So, yeah, very proud of, of that. But something that I found really interesting interviewing her was she was saying that the reason that she feels like she's become you know, uh, so much better in, in the recent years and throughout, I think, growing up is that she was always picked for older teams. So she was always playing up. So she, I think she was nine in the under 13 squad for the emerging breakers. So she was always younger, but she was always pushing herself, trying to get to that top level of all the older girls. And that's what's really got her to where she is now, that drive. Yeah, playing up's important. I mean, young players playing in older age groups does bring the skills on. I wouldn't have, is that the way it works in women's cricket, Lisa? So there's age, age groups going right down all the clubs? For club cricket on yeah. the weekend, no. So what there is uh, is the Brewer's Shield, and that's under 17s, yeah. I think. Uh, obviously, you've got your girls' competitions, whether it be the Sydney Sixers Girls' League or Thunder League, uh, and that's where, you know, club sides can enter their, you know, their Linfield under 12 team. So a lot of young girls will play that, but the better cricketers will play boys cricket Mm -hmm. and then they'll play the representative cricket um, from a female pathway point of view. And then obviously Cricket New South Wales pathway programs kind of kick in under 13s, 14s. Then you've got New South Wales 15s and then 18s and then you've got obviously the breakers. So uh, there's stepping stones all the way through, which is great now because a young girl out there, she can potentially have a look at the the Southern Stars or have a look at the Sydney Sixers and, and go, and right. And follow the pathway yeah, almost. And yeah. go, how, how, do, how do I need to get in? This well, I, There's a number of different entryways, but here's a single pathway for me to potentially represent my state, country or franchise. Well, that was a great feature on Ash Gardner. Britt, thank you. Uh, so listeners, remember the ABC Cricket Magazine comes out this week. Yeah, and a funny little story for you. So uh, Joe Root and Stephen Smith are on the cover. And there's an interesting little article about who is the the baby faces representing both countries. (laughs) And I think Stephen Smith was talking to Jim Maxwell the other day and he sort of said, Jim, who is the most baby faced of the two though? Like really wanted to get reassurance that he wasn't the one with the most baby face. It was quite funny. So I'm looking to, yeah, as I said before. What do we think? We should, I think Joe Root's got. Yeah, yeah. I think Joe Root I think it's the paler skin maybe. Yeah, and he looks like Ellen DeGeneres. uh, (laughs) He does. He hates that as well. So all summer just call him Ellen. (laughs) We should actually. I think I should. Yeah. Um, I hope you do an interview and go, oh, hi, Ellen. I mean, Joe. Come on the podcast, Ellen. Um, so <laughs> that was the ABC Cricket Magazine. Britt, thank you. Ash Gardner seems like a very interesting character. Move, though, from New South Wales to South Australia, another person that has left the state because there's too much competition. She'll be back, I reckon, once she proves herself. She'll be back. I hope so. How could you leave this great state? <laughs> right now, let's finish finish the podcast like every good podcast should with a little bit of a chat about domestic one-day cricket. Talk about marginalising the 50-over domestic competition. It's going to be right at the end of the show. I want to ask, Lisa, you were were there for a lot of the JLT Cup, and I have a theory that one of the reasons Australia's one-day performance is on the decline is the fact that the state players now aren't playing enough 50-over cricket. So the JLT Cup is quite short and sharp, and if you're injured or you have a little niggle, well, you miss the whole comp. That's it. You don't play any 50-over cricket for a year. 
And then if you get picked for Australia to play 50-over cricket, what experience do you fall back on? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, before this competition, uh, the one-day format, uh, you know, when we used to watch it, the Mercantile Mutual Cup and all of those type of things, would be played after a Shield mm. round. And throughout uh, the summer. And throughout and the summer. And they play more matches. Correct. Now, the reason why they shifted that was because that's not indicative of what happens in a, in a World Cup. It's a tournament-based. You're going to go through injuries. You're going to have to go through workloads. So players need to get used to that. Also, from Cricket Australia's point of view, there's you've got the scheduling issue of where do you put a tournament base. That loses uh, lots of money and no one watches. So you have this open window in October, so you might as well use that because now the Big Bash is so prominent that goes through the school holidays. I know a, a while ago the ACA was kind of suggesting that the domestic structure should be based around what's coming up in international cricket so that players are playing that format to potentially get selected in the Australian team. So if that was the case, then potentially you'd have the big bash now. Would we get the numbers that we are getting in? Probably not. Then you'd play shield cricket and then you'd play your one-day domestic because the one-day internationals is normally at the end of the summer. But that's not going to happen because it's a business as well. So you've got to capitalise. So that's why it's hard. This is the fifth year that uh, you've got in this tournament base. Australia's 50-over performances are declining. Well, I think you need to look at the fact of is it a core group of players that are playing? Mm. If we were to look prior to five years ago, you had a core group of guys that were playing regularly in the Australian team, but the chop and change that we've seen over the five years means that they're exposing players that may not be ready. Um, they're resting players for other series coming up because there's that much cricket. Uh, and the Australian public don't get to know who their Australian one-day team is. And I think that's a real issue. And we're seeing that in the performance as well. Yeah, I just think maybe they should look at splitting it up between the first and the beginning of the season and the end of the season and play it in two blocks like the uh, WNCL does, is yeah, it? yeah, yeah, and like the Shield is, they split it into two blocks, split the one days into two blocks to both ends of the season, just so it doesn't get completely forgotten about. So players that are injured get a second bite at the cherry, and perhaps you could squeeze more, get, squeeze more games in. But in saying that, the best team won this year's competition, no doubt. Western Australia were the best side. They beat South Australia in the final by six wickets. Uh, from the beginning of the tournament to the end, they were the best team, Lisa. No arguments. Yeah, no, they certainly were. Um, the fact that they've got a star-studded lineup and they fired Sean Marsh was exceptional, Michael Klinger. And then you had the, the young captain, Mitch Marsh, you know, taking on the reins as leader and was able to perform and obviously is unable to bowl at, uh, for a long period of time and, and probably has spent more time on his batting for the first time in his career and it showed, didn't it? So I think that's a great thing for him moving forward but you're right they were the best team um, throughout the series and they had that hiccup against South Australia at Dremoyne Oval where they they lost a a close battle because they were chasing a big total but maybe that was the loss that every team kind of needs in a in a condensed competition. Inspired decision by Justin Langer to give Mitch Marsh the captaincy I really thought when I heard I thought it was a misprint it was Sean Marsh was captain um, but, you know, giving it a young player that responsibility hopefully will bring the best out of him. I guess that's the youth policy that you don't like. <laughs> when did I say I didn't like a youth policy? Because of Ed Cowan coming in. 
Well, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't drop Klinger, did they? They didn't drop Klinger to make room for... Um, no, they didn't. I so. saw that Mitch Marsh is actually heading to Sussex. So he's going to go over and play in England for a little bit. For next, next summer, summer in county cricket. Yeah. That would be a great experience. Yeah, he needs yeah. that kind of um, he- little big workload of cricket for his batting, to, especially on those wickets that are moving around a Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. That'll test his uh, technique. So standout performers from the JLT Cup. Callum Ferguson was the highest scorer, 160. Sorry, he scored the highest score, 169 off 138 balls for SAVWA. The most runs in the tournament, Sean Marsh, 412. Nick Madison, 398. Usman Khawaja, 380. I mean, three contenders for the number six spot. Well, for the test side, Khawaja, number three, doing well. So that was that was a big tick. Uh, well, I think all of the players that had that are being seen potentially for the test squad performed well. Uh, so that's good to see that, you know, those names are featuring regularly. Yeah, definitely. And then one of my personal favourites, George Bailey, hit the most sixes in the tournament, 15. Is I it the th- floppy? What's, why is he your favourite? He's got a great smile. He's so charming. <laughs> uh, he's a good bloke, you know. He never gets any trouble. And I sort of feel like Australia's missing him in their middle order in the 50-over game at the moment. I think we cast him aside too easily, and it, and it's showing in the way we can't win many games, and the middle order's always chopping and changing. So that's why I like George. Uh, but the hat's great. I mean, the, the, the flat hat is great. Best figures in the comp, Simon Mackin, 5 for 33 versus the CA11, so it doesn't count because they're not a state. So the best figures were really 5 for 36, Joe Many versus Queensland because that's a real state. Uh, most wickets in the comp, Joe Many and Jai Richardson, 13 wickets each. So they were the standout performers from this year's JLT Cup. As you might have guessed, Lisa, I'm not a fan of the CA11 concept. Well, they beat South Australia in the first game. I guess it's all about giving those guys the experience. Uh, great to see seven of the players last year um, were then selected by their state teams this year. So it is kind of working, but uh, certainly you, you need a bit more depth in that side. Yeah, I mean, it's great for those young players to get a chance to play against the other states, but I just wonder if you're a state player, how it feels when you go out to play against the CA11. It's like a, a warm-up game, I, I, I'd say. It's like an Australia versus an Australia A. And sometimes you don't want to get beaten by the Australia A, but it does happen. Uh, so the, the states may use those games to rotate and give other time to players. Um, it's about playing more cricket and lessons being learned. I get that point of view, but you want hard cricket as well. Yeah, so goodbye, CA11. If I was in charge, that would be <laughs> crossed out. I don't think you'd be the first one and the Do, only one. <laughs> no, I think I think... The players and the players, the players who that have worked so hard to earn their state caps, might feel a little bit uh, that you know these these young players are getting a pretty easy run. Oh, not easy because they've still got to play them all, don't they? <laughs> yeah, but there's nothing tough. at stake. Uh, there's nothing at stake. I mean, yeah. you know, who is this? Are they play? Are they representing Cricket Australia or? Maybe we should make them the Canberra Eleven. At least they'd have a place. That'd make more sense. Yes. Yeah, the Canberra Development Eleven. Bring back the Comets, hey? Yes, the Cam- Merv Hughes was their, their first player. I remember him coming off a long run, the big beer gut. <laughs> well, listeners, I guess we better end the podcast as we've gone on for ages. Um, Lisa, thanks so much for coming in to the Australian Cricket Podcast. Good luck for the summer. You're going to be everywhere, Women's Ashes, BBL. 
CPL, what else? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? So I'll uh, check my emails when I finish this. <laughs> and hopefully we can be in touch on the new podcast. Absolutely. it's only Fairfax people that are banned, so, you know. So I'm with, fine, am you're I? You're fine, definitely. <laughs> not on the banned list. Britt, you're certainly not on the banned list. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. And um, good luck with ladies who leg spin. So, Thank listeners, you. that will be the podcast to hear about women's cricket on. That's that's the that's the selling point, isn't it, Britt? Yeah, first episode out today, which is the day after the women's first game, if yeah. you haven't caught on. So once on. you've listened to this, you'll be able to just switch on to that's that. That's right. Kristen Beams gives some really good insights into what happened there. So, yeah, yeah we'll have, have to know to, what you think. I have to work things out with your co-host, Mary, over this summer. We've had She's a, slow, a busy woman. <laughs> we've, had a, we've had a tough start to our relationship. I think she took some of my anti Sydney Thunder comments a bit too seriously. Oh, don't worry. She's a half sixes fan anyway. So well, I mean, <laughs> she just needs to get to the right side, doesn't she? Well, seriously. yeah. This, after the Sixers snubbed me this season, I'm completely neutral. Completely neutral. Oh, now. There you go. Completely neutral for the upcoming summer. I'm a proper journalist. Are you looking to jump on someone else or? Um, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to like stay neutral at the moment. Happy Maybe if a new observer. team comes in. Maybe if the Canberra T20 side comes in, I'll, I'll jump in there. But or a Gold I'm just going to be one. a happy observer now. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, that's it for the show. Thanks for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'll be back next week with the new podcast, Cricket Unfiltered. Don't worry, it'll be basically the same thing, just better. Thanks again <laughs> for listening and I'll be back then. Stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series.